information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaSports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Get ready to talk some baseball. Welcome to the King's Corner, talking baseball with Jim Layritz. From spring training to the World Series and beyond to the postseason, Jim and his guests tell it like it is and have all of the bases covered. Now, here's Jim Layritz. Welcome, like he said, to the King's Corner. you got Jim Layritz and we are talking baseball. Now that I live out here in California, the big news uh, out here is the new approval of the Dodgers sale. And uh, one of the big things that happened this week, of course, with the Dodgers is they did get the approval from the courts to that Fox dropped the lawsuit and that they will now be for sale. The bids will come in starting January 23rd. And by May, the Dodgers will have another new ownership and, of course, finally be able to start making some moves and maybe doing some things that, to improve the club uh, like they did a little bit this offseason where they made some, made some nice minor moves uh, to, to round out this team a little bit. And uh, coming up soon, we're going to have Don Mattingly, the manager and my former teammate. Uh, and uh, you know, I could sit probably and talk to Donnie for at least four or five hours about everything that we've been through together. But we're going to talk a little bit about what's coming up for him this year, what to expect. And uh, just a little bit about, you know, everything Don Mattingly. So he'll be coming up in just a minute later in the show. We also will have Mark Sheldon from MLB.com, the insider for the Cincinnati Reds, who will talk about Barry Larkin and his induction to the Hall of Fame that just happened. So a very good show for you this week. And, of course, like I mentioned, the start of the show is with one of my former teammates, the captain. Don Mattingly, who, when I first came up to the big leagues, uh, was next to me in my locker, and uh, we shared some pretty good times together. And uh, Donnie, of course, now is the manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, who, we, like I mentioned before, just we had some good news this week for him. And Donnie, welcome to the show. Hey, Jimmy. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Cap. How you been? I've been all right. Just actually just got back from L.A., and... Uh you know, kind of going through a mini camp with our younger, some of our younger prospects, guys that we try to, you know, kind of cut a corner for them, you know, from the standpoint of being, been around the stadium, you know, know their way around the city a little bit. So when they come up, it's not such a shocker. And oh, yeah. So there'll, be, there'll be guys that, you know, we had a couple of those guys that, with Javi Garens and different guys that were in that camp last year, um, ended up in the big leagues, and I think it helps them out that they don't have to, you know, the first time they come to the big leagues, they're also dealing with all the new circumstances of where do I go, how do I get around, all that. Right, right. Yeah, and, and like you said, L.A. can be intimidating, kind of like New York was uh, a little bit, and uh, yeah, that's a good thing to have. Now, let me, Cap, I saw you at the winter meetings. We talked a little bit. We talked a little bit about, uh, you know, this upcoming year, and you guys weren't too sure what was going on as far as the ownership goes. Now that is in place. 
Tell us a little bit because that's been the big news out here. Now that I live out here in Orange County, the b- big right. news, of course, All along the place, a lot of but uh, at least you know more and more barriers seem to be getting moved out of the way to you know make you know the free up the lane, you know. Right, and you know, for you, for I know as far as you know, we we both played in New York, Cap, and uh, we know that sometimes we don't want to let the front office stuff and everything that's going on there come down into the clubhouse and and really affect what we did. And you guys did a great job last year of keeping that separate. Um, but what does that do for you guys this year? A little bit knowing that there's going to be an ownership in place, and that. You know, if you need to make some moves or you need to do some dealing, and you know, for for players that you need, does this make it any easier? Well, I, th- I think just getting clarity on the situation. Last year, everything was uh, kind of up in the air, and like you said, you know, I ask our guys really just to play, and not there's nothing they can do about it. There's nothing I was going to do about it. Wasn't going <laughs> to change anything, but the things that we could control, we could just take care of by going out and playing, getting ready to play. But it still wears on you a little bit. But I think the fact that it looks like there's going to be some clarity, uh, it's still, I think the clarity is going to come, you know, during the season. You know, we'll already pretty much have started the season, it sounds like, when, um, you know, this, if it, you know, the timetable that, you know, everybody sees, if that happens, the season to be in. And, and, you know, you set your team up during the offseason. Ned's been doing all his work, you know, all year since the season last year, trying to you know, make sure we build a team that's competitive and gives ourselves the best chance to win. Um, but it will be nice to get, you know, to have things just, just um, I think, you know, which way are we going, who's leading the ship, and, and how are we going to get there. Yeah, you've been you've been there now for a while, Caffer. I think what, what four years now you've been there. This will be your fourth year coming up. Your first, second year as the manager. Um, how pleased have you been? Number one, with the team that you had last year, and, and like you said, kind of handicapped. How pleased with you with, with the way these guys handled the whole situation last year? No, last year was great, and it's been a good time out in LA for me. Honestly, coming out with Joe, you know, we were in the playoffs two straight years. Um, 2010 was not a good year. We we didn't play well. Nothing went kind of right, and kind of a lot of dissension. It seemed like um, kind of a backwards year for guys. Uh, and then last year it was another. It was a growing year. You know, went through a lot. Uh, team kind of shifted gears last year. I think it kind of went into Matt Kemp's hands, and you know he kind of said, "This is you know by the way he played and the way he went about his business last year." He basically said, "This is my club." And, right. And the way he you know he plays every day. He played hard. He was prepared. He was a, he was a leader all all over the place. And so he kind of it kind of switched gears last year. I think being Matt's team. Uh, obviously, with Clayton doing the things uh, that he did last year, kind of the leader on that side of the you know the pitching staff side, and we've also got veteran guys. So I was really pleased with the effort that I got last year, Jimmy. Uh, and, I, and that's one thing as a manager, I think that uh, I've always looked at if if my team, if that guy's team across the field is playing hard every day, he's got that manager's got something going on because if they're not playing hard and they're dogging it and they're not playing the game right then you know they don't respect, uh, you know, that guy's wishes. And so yeah, I, and I, I think, like you said, Matt Kemp definitely took this team on his shoulders last year and said, okay, you know what? And, of course, the Dodgers did reward him very, very kindly and said, listen, you are our franchise guy, and we're going to build this around you. Donnie, tell me a little bit about this upcoming season, a little bit about when you look at your ball club, some of the improvements that you've made, some of the signings that you guys had. They weren't any really big names, but they were the little – 
the little things. And we know, you know, Cap, you and I played together. We didn't have All-Stars every single year, but we had a good, solid team, 1 through 25. Tell me a little bit about some of the moves you guys made to, to make this ball club a little bit stronger. Well, I think some of the things we did are, like you said, there, there's nothing, you know, nothing huge went on. We lose um, Kuroda, or we're, we're losing Kuroda. Yeah, I don't know if he's signed anywhere yet. I know he's close. But, you know, we, we didn't feel like we could, you know, the money that he wanted was just didn't fit into where we're going. And so we kind of replace Hero with Harang and Capuano. We're basically able to take, you know, the money that you kind of have earmarked for him. And, you know, obviously it wasn't the, still wasn't enough. But we're able to kind of get two guys. And Aaron uh, had a, Harang had a good year last year, kind of a bounce back year with San Diego. And he's a California guy. He's from San Diego. Uh, he's a fly ball guy, which helps him. And, you know, San Diego obviously is a, a fly ball ballpark. Our place is fly ball. Capuano is another guy coming off. He had a couple of shoulder, in, uh, shoulder surgeries. But the last two years he's kind of built up, and we feel like he's crossed that thing where he's going to keep you in the game. And, again, another not a big, huge, sexy signing, but a guy that will keep you in the game. And as much as anything, Jimmy, it allows our young guys to develop. Right. We're talking about Ruby De La Rosa and uh, Eovaldi. These these two kids can really pitch, but you don't want to have them in the big leagues unless they're ready. Um, and not that they weren't, they're not ready, but you don't want to have. That's your depth, you know. Eovaldi's your five, but then then who? Then you're really into your minor league system. And the way we're doing it now, these guys kind of buy time to Nathan to continue to grow, Ruby to get healthy from his surgery and have the time to, you know, to be ready when he comes back up. So these guys kind of buy you that time that allow your young guys to be the next Claytons. And so that's kind of what we did, I think, with, with Harang and Capuano. We signed McDougal back, got career. Uh, Elbert stepped up last year. Uh, we got some power arms out of the bullpen and more power arms in the minor leagues. The other moves we make, um, I think signing Mark Ellis is a big sign for us because we were a really good defensive club. Second base was probably the area that we were most up in the air with last year with moving guys around, different people. Mark is right. probably one of, the, one of the best guys in baseball turning the two ball. You know, teaming him up, an experienced guy, teaming him up with D. Gordon is going to be able to help him. Um, we feel like it's a good move. Uh, Adam Kennedy and Jerry Harrison, two guys that we can combo. You know, kind of right, left, some at third. You know, Jerry can play the outfield. Adam plays second. So we can kind of load a lineup right, left. Um, and those are kind of the major things. And then with the addition, you know, the guys hopefully easier coming back, being healthy. Matt's going to have to do what, what he's, you know, done last year. Uh, Loney, if he's the second half guy like he was last year and kind of getting back to himself, then we're, we're a pretty good offensive club. Yeah, and like you said, it's, it's Loney's a big key. He's one of the big names that you know you, you hope that if the right guy shows up, you're in good shape because this kid has a ton of talent. Uh, one of the things that's out there still, Cap, that we, that we talk about, and I know it's been in the papers a little bit here out in L.A., is the possibility of Prince Fielder. Yeah. <laughs> what would that do to your life? That's one of those things you dream about, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I love James, but, you know, you're talking about Prince. He's a difference maker, you know. And, you know, for me as a manager, I know Ned does everything he can to make our team as good as possible. Um so one of those things you know is kind of the perfect piece for us. But, you know, can we pull that off? Uh, that's just another story. So, you know, you prepare like, you know, you're not going to have 
Prince, and it was going into the winter. We thought Prince would be great. And, you know, then you see the Pujols deal, and you know where we're at, and Prince is in that area, so it's like, how are we going to be able to do that? So that's kind of above my head type thing, and I don't want to get too wishful on anything like that. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think it was even on the radar until now, possibly, that they're talking about, you know, you might want to just do a one-year deal somewhere, and, you know, we're, be- we're better than being in the L.A. market and, and be able to showcase his talent. So who knows? That, that could be part of your wish list. But let's talk about what you have on this ball club. And you know, one of the things, Cap, that I always like to watch is players that, when they have success, remain team-like and very humble. And I looked at, watched Clayton Kershaw this whole year. Tell me a little bit about what it felt like every five days to be able to throw that guy out there. Well, it was pretty good. Um, obviously, Clayton was lights out. He, you know, pretty much you, you feel like he's going to win every time out. Um, and then this year, the biggest difference is that you always felt like that with Clayton. His stuff's really good all the time. But this year, it was like he learned to get deep into games, and that's really what made him a different guy. As he he learned to be able to get through eight nine innings, you know, working into the eighth or the ninth, you know, at around ninety to hundred pitches, so you knew you had a chance to get into the ninth. This guy, and that just changes things. That that just tells you the development. I think uh, not trying to strike everybody out and still struck out plenty of guys, but using all his pitches, taking the ground balls, taking the easy outs if the guy's willing to give them to you. Because with Clayton, there's going to be times when. Seems like I'm not I'm not getting deep into count. They're wanting to swing early because they don't want to get to that change of the slider, right? Curveball. So guys are swinging early, and next thing you know, this this there's games. This cat's in the fifth with about 60 pitches, and you're going, hey, we're in pretty good shape right here. So he's he's off the charts, and but he's been that way since he started. And I think the thing we love about Clayton as much as anything, and I've known him since he very first started because he signed with my son Preston. They were they were roommates. Right. So I've known Clayton early on is that this kid's humble, he's a worker, he wants it, and he just wants to keep getting better and better. He's a great teammate. He's on the bench. You watch him, he's on the bench during the games when he's not pitching. Uh, he's cheering for his, 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 you know, the other guys. Trying to start fights with the other team. I like it. <laughs> yeah. The days that he doesn't pitch, he's in the weight room, he's doing, he's doing his work, and he's like an example. And if you're another pitcher... And you see Clayton Kershaw working like this. It's kind of like, how do I not prepare? You know, be in the video room, doing my work, getting in the weight room in between starts. So when your best player, your best pitcher is your best worker, it's a great example for the rest of your club. Yeah, that's no, got to be a pleasure to have him. And, of course, like you mentioned before, you had Capuano coming over, Harang coming over. Your starting rotation with Lily and Billingsley, Pretty strong. Pretty pretty much every five days you go out there, you feel like you got a pretty good chance to win, and I think that should be uh, one of the strengths that maybe you guys didn't have throughout the whole thing last year. Um, yes, but li- no doubt. But li- yeah, but listen, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back, uh, talk a little bit more about some, some you know, the position players and a little bit more about Don Mattingly and the hitman's career. So we're going to come back and talk with you in just a minute after this break. All right, Cap? All right, Jimmy. A beauty. It's a fly ball, deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's at the 
shot. Got it with 2.8 seconds left. to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we, we, we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. Tim Lahrens is a two-time World Series champion, motivational speaker, and author of Catching Heat, a brutally honest book about the highs and lows of a professional athlete and life after baseball. Most people know Jim as a man who has always beaten the odds. Jim has never forgotten that with hard work, dedication, and God's power, one can overcome anything. Visit JimLayritz.com to get a copy of Jim's book or to schedule Jim for your next corporate fundraiser or event. The address again is JimLayritz.com. Sports and medicine go hand in hand. Quite simply, if you aren't up to your game health-wise, you won't be up to your game on the field. That's where Bruce the Sports Doc comes in. Dr. Bruce Grossinger uses his medical training and experience to bring you a link between sports and medicine. From the latest advances and treatments to discussion behind the injuries of the week, Bruce the Sports Doc and his team of guest experts are here each week to lay it on the line in terms that you can understand. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need to bitch his ass and then move oh, on. I just, I just think that the coach made a mistake. Oh, crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. You're inside the King's Corner, talking baseball with Jim Lairitz. It's time to hear from you. Call in to our live show at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. You can also send an email to info at jimlayritz.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And, of course, we've been talking to the Los Angeles Dodgers manager, my former teammate, one of my best teammates ever. As you can read in my book, I talk about Cap a lot, uh, about how helpful he was for my career. Talking a little bit about their team this year. We talked about the rotation cap. We spoke a little bit about uh, some of the guys on the on the offensive side. And, mm-hmm. you know, we talked a little bit about what you did last year. Where do you see some of the things that they need to do offensively to improve this club a little bit? Well, you know, Jimmy, the biggest change that 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 really affected us last year, we were able to pick up. We picked up Juan Rivera late in the year, about halfway, and uh, or a little bit after the break, and he drove in almost fifty runs, and it gave us a combination guy with Matt. It kind of, you know, you always talk about protection because uh, if, if there's nobody back there behind him, they're not going to pitch to him. So you're always talking about protecting him. Now we got Ethier, who's who's banged up. So if we get him back and swinging the bat the way he's capable, because he's got one of the best swings in the game, um, this guy and Matt together, and you put Juan Rivera, and you start adding Jerry Sands and some of our other guys, you start getting a, a core group in the middle of your lineup that can drive in some runs, and that's what hurt us early. Our first 90 games uh, last year, I think we scored three or less 60 times. You do that, you're not going to win. And we were playing good defense. We were getting good pitching. but when, And we were in every game, just about. But we just couldn't get that run when we needed it, or we were getting beat 2-1 or 4-3. to um, And when we were able to get Rivera and kind of stretch our lineup out, Loney came back, swung the bat better the second half. 
all of a sudden our lineup looked different, and we were able to put some runs up, and then we, we started winning. Right. And that's it. I think, like you said, it's, it's a matter of getting that core three or four together, especially in the National League where it's such a different game uh, as far as that lineup goes and, and the importance of being able to protect your, your big hitter like that. And we've seen that happen with you know, Holiday and Pujols and some of the other teams that, that have had to do that. But I think, uh, you know, we look at your ball club. We look at the team. We, like we said, we mentioned the pitching already. We talked about a cap. You saw last year Arizona go from first, from worst to first. How do you look at your team this year, and what's your forecast for 2012? Well, the forecast for us is really just the same formula. It's going to be pitching and defense. We still talk about it, but you got to score runs. And what Arizona was able to do is really not a big shocker, to be honest with you, because we were in the same division and played these guys the year before. They were a talented young crew, and... You know, Kirk Over did a great job, changed the attitude. It seemed like they were a little more just physically tougher ball club. And they got their bullpen changed. You know, they're back into their bullpen. They pick up putts and some guys out of the pen that, and the Hernandez kid they got in the trade. You know, all of a sudden, 8-9 was clean innings for them. And it just changed it. So our division is black and blue. It's going to be, it's going to be the same style because Arizona can beat you up. We can beat you up. San Francisco, you, you run in through Linscombe and Kane and those guys, they can beat you up. Uh, Colorado's gotten better. They picked up Kadire, picked up some other you know pieces, picked up Casey Blake from us. Um, so each one of these teams, and San Diego, so it's black and blue. So it's it's who can go out and play good, you know, day in day out through the course of the year and, and hold on and keep be consistent. Uh, so for us, it's a matter of how if we play up to our potential, and if we don't, we're going to be in trouble. But we're going to have to have guys kind of playing up to where they should be, their expectations. If they do that, then we're going to be a, we're going to be a club that's going to be right there uh, when we get into September. All right. Well, good, good, good. Well, listen, uh, that's that's a little bit about your team. I just got an email here from one of one of, one of the people that wants to know this question. It says, Jim, you were Don's teammate when you first came up. What what was it like playing with Don Mattingly? Cap. Let's talk a little bit about our career together. Uh, you know, I first came up in in, in ninety, and uh, you know, we had some pretty good times together. And tell me a little bit about your career. Number one, you know, we talk about it all the time. Six time All Star, nine Gold Gloves, uh, three Silver Slugger awards, the nineteen eighty five AL MVP. Uh, the one of the things that I tell everybody, and I, I wrote about it in the book, uh, and you heard the introduction. The King's Corner. Tell me, tell these people a little bit about how that name came about, Cap, and, and how that worked. The King, the King Lairitz. <laughs> <laughs> well, if if they don't know you, Jimmy, Jimmy was. I know, and you admit it. You never lacked in confidence, so you were you were part of that crew, and I think is one of the things that that made you such a, a good hitter and a great player in clutch times and through the years, is that you thought you could hit anybody and everybody which is a, a great thing. Uh, I think the name came just from, I think it was that team picture when you came strolling across the field and everybody, <laughs> we were getting the team picture done and, and Jimmy must not have got the memo and he's walking from the subway station across the field like, and just got his chest out like nothing's going on. He just kept walking right by the picture. Yeah, we were playing Toronto that night and that was the <laughs> night that uh, I hit a home run off Dave Stewart and you guys gave me the silent treatment. <laughs> and 
It was it was uh, pretty fun. Yeah, we had some good times. But you know, one of the things too is is uh, you know, as a young player coming up, and, and like I said, Cap, you, you know, I've I've told people every time anybody asks me about who was your favorite teammate, who was the best, you know, the the guy that you played with, and I always mention your name only because. When I came up, you were the guy. You were you were the Yankee. You were you were captain. You were the whole thing. The one thing that I loved about you, and and you know, I've I've gone on record and said that I've played with a lot of great players. But the one thing that I loved about you was when you weren't in the lineup, when you were injured, when you were having the eye problems, and you were doing things, and I was playing your position. You used to come out every day and show me how to hold a runner on, how to do something that could help the ball club win. Tell me a little bit about how that was instilled in you when you grew up and, and why you were that type of a player. I think, Jimmy, and I, and I appreciate that, too, because that's something that you know, I'm proud of, that you know, I wanted to be that kind of teammate. But honestly, it came from the guys when I first came up. You talk about when you first came up. Well, when I came up, the, you know, Goose Gossage, Greg Nettles, Willie Randolph, Bobby Mercer, uh, on and on. There's a, you know, just a list of guys. Uh, Lou Pinella. These guys taught you how to play the game, and it was all about winning. And, you know, you sh- everybody knows that everybody wants to put up numbers. We all want to go out and put up good years, have good years. We all want to make money, uh, you know, and do good things. But these guys, it was about winning the game that night. And I think just as a young player, that got instilled, you know, coming through the organization. And, and these guys, the way they treated me and the way they talked about the game, and those are the guys that make the biggest impression on you. So I think that all came just really from those guys, and those guys should get the credit for all that. Right. And I think that's one of the things that was so strong during the George Steinbrenner days that George really instilled in the players coming up was he kept the old guys around, and they were always around spring training, old-timers day, and it was really just great to see that camaraderie and, and just what, what it meant for the, to them to be a Yankee. And I really think it instilled in, in you and, of course, me when I was first coming up, uh, the pride of being a New York Yankee. I think it's so important, Jimmy. And, and really, now, where, where I'm at here in L.A., I mean, it's great because you know, you'll see Garvey in camp now and then, Steve Yeager's part of our staff, now Davey Lopes, um, you know, Don Newcomb's coming and talking, Manny Moe is there. It's the same type of, you know, passing the game on. And I think it's so important, you know, the Dodgers are, are to me, a similar organization as the Yankees, you know, steeped in history. Uh, what, what the Dodgers have done for baseball, bringing in baseball basically west. If it wasn't for the Dodgers, I don't know if they would have eventually got there, but they brought baseball west. Um, you know, break the black, you know, the first black player, that barrier. The Dodgers have been a, a historic organization, and it's just important, I think, that players understand the organization they're playing for and what this organization has done in the history of the game because the game's going to keep going. You know it, I know it. I don't care how good you are, how great you are. When you're done playing, there's going to be another kid that comes up and who's the next thing. And that historical needs to be passed through and become part of the, you know, the cloth and the thread that, that binds the whole thing together. I, yeah, I agree 100%. I think that's one of the things that I think finally, you know, being out here in L.A. now that I've been out here now for almost seven months, just seeing that the people just 
saying why is you know why is this happening to the Dodgers? It's such a great organization. I think finally now, like you were saying, once now that this ownership is going to be in place, uh, and they're bringing back some of the old names and some of the guys that they're going to really bring back what the Dodgers is all about. Because I did a camp this year, Cap. We did the Muscowerin's camp this year, and it was the first time that we combined the Dodgers with the Yankees. Oh, and it, okay. It was. Yeah, and it was really a cool thing. Steve Yeager was there, uh, Jerry Royce, a couple other guys were there. And it was really neat to see, uh, like you said, the fans of the Dodgers, these fantasy campers and our fantasy campers, really have a, like, create a bond because of the traditions and the historicness of both ball clubs. And uh, pretty neat to see. And I, th- I'm, I think it's great that uh, it looks like this year everything is going to start getting back to normal with you guys. Yeah, I know you said you've just been out there for a little bit, Jimmy, and it's true. The, the Dodger fan base is unbelievable. You know, they're, they're loyal to the Dodgers. They love the Dodgers historically and what they do. And, and honestly, you say, you know, it's kind of getting back to it. It's, it's been that way. I think the Dodgers have always kept their people around. You know, Don Newcomb, Tommy Lasorda. Now, these are great names within the organization, and they do a great job kind of in the same way of keeping it there so i don't want everything to seem like because it's been a pretty good time there you know we had you know two years in the playoffs win around, you know the first round win there so it's not like the dodgers have just been off the face of the map this thing just went bad when the divorce goes down uh, it gets ugly it gets in the papers and in the 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 focus gets away just trying to do on the field to all the stuff that's happened between two people and the courts and all that. And I think that's really just what it's kind of taken over. Right. It's it's just kind of been the last couple of years. It's not really something that when I first came, it was, it was a great feeling out there. And just last year it got a little ugly. Yeah. It kind of reminds me when I was, when I was with the Dodgers, when I got traded over in 2000, that's when they were going through some of the problems with Fox and some of the ownership things that were changing. And I think that's what it is, basically. It's not the organization itself. It's not anything that goes on on the field with you guys, the players, the former players. It's what's going on in the front office that really takes the, the media and everything else that gets carried away. And like you said, the fan base is still the fan base. And that's what it, you, know, you love about uh, the fans is, is they, they still have that passion. And, yeah, it's uh, not going away. You know, it's like, you know, I know you're down there in Orange County, you say, and you see what the Angels do. You know, they sign Pujols, and, and Augie Moreno's a great owner. They're putting a great product out there. I think we have lost him. Okay, we're going to go to break real quick, and we will be right back. We're going to try to get Donnie back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. What if there was a program that brought the best in sports and the best of entertainment together in one place? It can be done. And Darnell Autry proves it every week on Outside the Spotlight. In this program, athletes and artists come together to share their success stories, hobbies, professional projects, and more that will interest not only the sports fan, but fans of entertainment and other human interest stories. If you have something you want to ask your favorite athlete or entertainer, listen for Outside the Spotlight, Fridays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Sports. You may not know all their names, 
but you certainly know what they did. They helped make this game into what it is today. Now we can do more to help them. The NFL Alumni Association is proud to assist our retired players to help make their lives better today and tomorrow. To learn more, please visit NFLalumni.org. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're inside the King's Corner talking baseball with Jim Lairitz. It's time to hear from you. Call in to our live show at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. You can also send an email to info at gemlayritz.com. Now, back to the show. All right, we've worked out our technical difficulties. Cap, I think we got a Dodger fan. We started talking about the Angels. He decided that he didn't want to hear anything. So I don't know. I think it was an Angel fan. I start, you know, saying, you know, <laughs> it's not the same. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, exactly. And I think that's what you're talking about. Like you said, it's it's a matter of just the Dodgers now going to be able to have everything in place. I think this is going to be a great year for you guys. I think, like you said, you have you showed last year, even under the most adverse situations, that you were able to, to take this club to the, to, to the next level. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to being down there, seeing you. Um, real quick, just before we, before we go off the air, I would be remiss not to talk a little bit about uh, your son, Preston. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I know... I, I, I know he just recently signed a minor league deal with the New York Yankees. Tell me a little bit about what he's doing. Well, just getting ready, obviously. You know, he's with the Dodgers for a long time, drafted by the Dodgers. Uh, actually, he got drafted by the Dodgers when I was over in New York. And it's really been a struggle for him, honestly. Um, and this is kind of, you know, I think he looks at it like a last chance, really. And uh, he's been a kid that's been a slow developer for me. But to me, the last couple of years, it swings is you know, kind of getting to the point where it looks like it's got a chance. Um, and I think the Dodgers give, not the Dodgers, but the Yankees give him a new set of eyes, somebody that will give him an opportunity um, to hopefully go out and, and, and prove that he's, cause he's been working hard and trying to show he can still play. And um, so we'll see, see what happens. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm, I'm wishing him the best. Uh, one of the things, Cap, that I did go when I was looking through all your stuff, um, a, a divorced father myself, of course, with custody of my children and kids. One of your campaigns I was reading about, and I don't know if you're still doing it, but it's the True Dads campaign. Tell me a little bit about that. That's been a, a while back, but it's basically just spending time, you know? Right. Um, and you, when you talk about that, it's just basically, and, and um, I've been remarried since, uh, going through a divorce, and we were actually talking about it last night. You can't really mess up as a parent if you love your kids. You know, you can make mistakes and do the wrong, you know, maybe do something that you, you know, maybe not doing something exactly right as a parent. 
But when you love your kids, the kids know it, and they know they're loved. And so to me, it kind of always goes back to that. But True Dads is based upon that of, you know, being a parent, it's there for your kids, play catch, uh, be involved. Right. Well, I think that's big. I think, you know, I, I, they didn't have a date on there how long ago that program was, but it really, it resonated with me because, like I said, I've been through the same thing, and it, it is so important for us to be involved, especially with today's divorce rate being as high as it is, and for, for the kids to know that their parents are there for them, and of course, the fathers especially, because normally we're the ones that have to go out and work, um, you know, and, right. and really provide um, so I, I, I just wanted to bring that up real quick and give you a chance. Are you still doing that, or is that still something that's... Well, that was something that was helping out. Uh, I think that was Spike TV. It was a campaign they were running. Oh, okay. uh, but I'm still doing it from the standpoint of trying to be that dad all the time. You know, My boys are older. I got 26, 24, and 20. But it's like they're still your kids. You know, you're always still trying to help, still try to be involved in their life. Uh, if things aren't going good for them, it's really something that weighs on my mind. When they're going, when they're doing well, it really makes you know. It seems like it's more enjoyable to the day-to-day things that you're doing. But when your kids aren't doing well, uh, I think it's all it's on your mind and it, and it weighs on you. Right, right. Tell me a little bit, Cap. I did a, I did a charity event with you last year for your your foundation. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about how uh, how that's going and how. You know, is there anything you want to talk about or just let us know about that's going on with one of your charities? Or well, foundation? it was dramatically baseball, and we really, our initiative was to, we wanted to be involved with kids uh, less fortunate, and I really had a heart for the kids in the inner city, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, you hear people complaining, uh, and you'll see it now and again, um, you know, not as many blacks for the big leagues and, and not as many black. and to me, it's just a numbers, numbers game. Uh, there's, there doesn't seem to be near as many inner city kids playing baseball, so it, it's it's a way for for our company to be involved with you know through equipment or whatever it is, being involved financially, trying to put programs together or, or help fund and help seed uh, some of the inner city programs uh, and get kids introduced to baseball. It's a great game, but it's a game that if you don't play early, it's you have it's a real hard time picking it up. It's a skill. And it's one of those games, if you're not playing at 8 or 9 or 10, it's hard to come in at 12 or 13 and start playing baseball because all of a sudden you're going to run into some 13-year-olds that are firing the ball, and you're like, what is this? And um, so it's just part of that is is really getting baseball to the inner city. Uh, And with that, being able to do some programs with after-school, you know, after-school funding with computers and education and all that. All right, good, good. Well, Cap, listen, I appreciate it. Like I said, I could have probably talked to you for two hours today for everything that we've been through and gone through, but I appreciate your time. I'm looking forward to seeing you a lot down here in L.A. this year, and I wish you nothing but the best of luck, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, Jimmy, good to talk to you, man. Good luck. All right, Cap, thanks a lot. All right. That was Don Mattingly, everyone, and, of course, the L.A. Dodgers. New sale coming up here soon. Bids are coming in January 23rd. Uh, the ball club has put it together pretty well. They had a pretty good year last year. Looking forward to a big season, I'm sure. And, of course, once that ownership gets gets there, uh, I think they'll be able to go take take off to another level, too, just like the Angels have done out here and start making some bigger moves. So uh, we'll see what happens. But let's switch gears a little bit, and we are going to go ahead and bring on my next guest, my next guest is Mark Sheldon. He's the MLB.com site reporter for the Cincinnati Reds. And, of course, big news out of Cincinnati. And one of my former teammates, a uh, guy that I grew up with, I was his roommate for, 
summer ball when we played for the Midland Redskins. We're going to talk a little bit about Barry Larkin's induction to the Hall of Fame. Mark, how are you doing today? Real well on a cold day. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm actually out in L.A. where uh, we're expecting about 72 today, so it's not too bad out here. Poor guy. <laughs> uh, Mark, tell me a little bit about this week. Of course, you know, the big news is Barry Larkin inducted to the Hall of Fame. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, Barry and I were teammates together for the Midland Redskins growing up in Cincinnati. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, the, the news conference the other day that, you, that, they, that they had and a little bit about what happened there. Well, I'll tell you what, it's been a robust week of uh, baseball news for Cincinnati, uh, past and present. You have uh, Barry Larkin getting elected to the Hall of Fame on Monday, and around, you know, a couple days later, you get the news that the Reds have uh, agreed to terms with Ryan Madsen, so it's been a nice week, and, and Barry, uh, getting him first, it's, uh, he's just been very humble, he's been very gracious, uh, and just very appreciative of all that's come up, you know, come to him. Uh, you know, he, he kind of wasn't even though it looked good for him, I don't think he ever conceded that it was going to happen for sure. And then obviously, since it's happened, he's been very just grateful for all the people that helped get him there, from his parents to his brothers and sisters, and uh, you know people that helped him along the way. You know, in, in Silverton and Moeller High School and University of Michigan, obviously with the Reds and like Davy Concepcion and Buddy Bell and Pete Rose and the like. So it's uh, it's been quite a journey for him. He's had a chance to reflect, and you know, and he was really excited to come back on uh, to Cincinnati on Wednesday. To kind of share in the uh, in the moment with with family and friends in his hometown. Yeah, I know. Tell us a little bit about. I mean, this is you know, and I, and I didn't know this. Of course, I grew up in Cincinnati. I was a big Cincinnati Reds fan. Uh, Tommy Brenneman, who was one of my best friends, we used to go to spring training together and with the Reds. Barry Larkin is the first native of Cincinnati elected. It's amazing, also, huh? Yeah, I mean, that, you know, you, you look at some of the names that you know. It's one of those things that we talked about, playing in your own hometown, growing up, uh, every kid's dream would be to do that and, of course, spend his entire career with the Reds. Uh, share with me a little bit about what you've heard from some of his teammates and some of the guys that he played with about how special Barry was. Because, like I said, I grew up with him, so I know what I, before he was even in the minor leagues and major leagues what kind of a guy he was. Tell us a little bit about what some of the players have said and, and what you've heard from them. Well, you know, of course, everyone, you know, especially fans and media and the voters in the hall will talk about the numbers, but what you get from players more often than not is what kind of person uh, the player was they know and or they knew going on. Because, you know, they, they obviously they talk about, you know, the two most important things is if you're a good person and if you like to be a winner. And Barry obviously filled those criteria very well. And what you, what you always heard, and even from like Marty Brenneman as well, is that he was as, as, as good as his numbers were, he was even better person off the field. And he was a really good teammate. He was that guy that could do anything for the team. If he could bat lead off, he had to bat lead off. If he could bat second, he'd bat second. He, he'd even bat cleanup if you asked him to, and whatever it took. And, and he was the kind of the you know the, uh, the players' player. He was you know a leader in the clubhouse. He always seemed to do the right things. He learned you know Spanish so he could communicate with the, you know some of the Latin players, and uh, and he just was willing to do whatever he, he could do to, to help his team uh, win. And, and, and everyone, like from, you know, Eric Davis, who, who especially said that, to Sean Casey and, and others have always just thought that, you know, he was just a overall guy that excelled at everything. He could, he could do, he wasn't, you know, and Barry himself said this, he didn't do one thing particularly great. He's not known as a, you know, a, a masher. He's not known as like the Ozzie Smith type of guy, a defensive genius, but he was really good at a lot of things and he made that successful, you know, on and off the field to make him a Hall of Famer. 
Well, exactly, and I think that's kind of why maybe he was overshadowed a little bit because, as good as he was, you know, at the time he was the the shortstop. You know, you had the A Rods, the Jeters, and those guys coming up. Uh, that you know kind of took away a little bit about how really special he was. And uh, you know, one of the things that uh, the next time you talk to him, the next time you see him, tell him that I, of course, congratulate him, wish him the best, and uh, that he still could never beat me on the basketball court. So um, <laughs> he went to Moeller High School, and, and that was one of our rivals. And uh, him and I had some good battles one-on-one against each other playing basketball. So maybe just, just kind of kind of joke, joke with him a little bit about that. Um, I will. Yeah, I'll make sure I let him know if I, when I see him the next time. Hopefully it won't be too long. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it's it's one of those things. I I was speaking with Tommy Brenneman uh, yesterday about a little bit about that. That's how I I got in touch with you. He was telling me a little bit about uh, because Tommy also grew up with me and went to a rival high school, and we were talking about all those old days and things like that. But you know, one of the things it's such a great thing to see a guy like this get that type of honor because, like you said, there's not one person that I know of whether it be someone that played when he was in Little League, you know, and I, I can remember the one thing that I remember, and I want you to tell me, because I know you saw her at the news conference if you were there or you've, t- you've probably spoke to her at some time, is his mother, his mother Shirley, who has been yeah. there since the beginning. I remember, like I said, when I was playing with him when he was 16, 17, 18 years old, she was always there rooting and screaming and yelling. And tell me a little bit about some of the things that maybe she shared with you. I got to talk to her briefly. It's uh, one little thing I have in common with Barry. It's a very small thing. Is that my my late mother-in-law was very good friends with her, and she was at my wedding. Shirley and Robert Larkin were both at my wedding. And, oh, okay. And and it's like you know I I, I went up and re- reintroduced myself to her on a busy day, and she, uh, you know, I told her who my wife was, and and she she you know remembered, and uh, my mother-in-law who passed away ten years ago, but like they were very very good friends. I was always had that con- in common with with Shirley. Um, and she was just very proud of, of her son. And, you know, one, one thing kind of she talked about and uh, was that they had five kids and they were, a lot of them were exceptional athletes. And, and, you know, the big thing in their house was, was just maintaining discipline. They were both very, you know, they had discipline and they, and they had lots of love for their kids and they made sure they displayed both of them on, on, a, on a, the same way. When that, you know, when you have that many kids running around the house that are exceptional, you, you got to kind of keep them in check and otherwise they take over your house. And, uh, he, uh, you know, he and By- you know, older brother Byron and Steven were, you know, went on to become elite athletes. And it's just, uh, you know, just having them around the house was, was a lot of fun for uh, for Robert. He he mentioned a story where, you know, he Barry was getting his head was getting a little too big in little league. All these coaches were pursuing him, and then he thought since he was a pretty good athlete himself, he could take Barry out to the field and pitch to him and and put him in place. And then he couldn't strike out, a, you know, he couldn't strike out his twelve year old son. <laughs> And he, he knew then that that was you know a special you got a special player on his hands because he couldn't he couldn't do anything to get Barry out so and uh, so that, it's kind of a kind of an idea of how that family is they're very tight knit and and uh, you know they're they're very much you know Cincinnati sports royalty around here so yeah now they are and I, like I said I, it was a pleasure he, he was my roommate a couple times during during the summertime with Midland and uh, you know like you said it was it was really neat to see just how competitive all the brothers were with each other and that's why most of them came you know a lot of them went on to you know i think my i think mike was his older brother that played at notre dame um right you know and and the younger ones were just it was always fun because when he came out to practice when he came out to thing all these guys came and 
it was just like I said, just a great athletic, competitive family, and uh, his mother and father did such a great job of keeping them grounded and and doing that. So, I, like I said, when you see him, of course, give him my best. Um, and like I said, it's going to be a great day. I'm going to definitely be there in July when he when he is inducted to the Hall of Fame. I found one thing interesting though, that he did say that he has never been to the Hall of Fame before. Yeah, I was that was a surprise. He he told us a brief story about how. Uh, the Reds were supposed to play in the Hall of Fame game in the late 80s, and uh, they were in Montreal, and they had to fly to, I guess, you know, Syracuse or Albany to get to Cooperstown, and, and the plane malfunctioned in Canada, and they never got to take off, and they never made it to Cooperstown, so the game was scrubbed, and I think the Red Sox played an inter-squad game instead, so that was the one and only chance for for him during his playing career, at least, to get to Cooperstown, and, and I was a little surprised with all he's done in broadcasting and everything else that he's never had a chance to go, so... Uh, you know, I think when when players get in the Hall of Fame, they actually get a private tour of Cooperstown maybe a month or two before they actually go in, in uh, July for the induction. So I'm sure that's going to be quite a thing for him. I've been there a couple of times. It's, uh, it's a special place, and you know, I'm sure it's going to be very very exciting for him to soak it all in. He's kind of be the kind of the man in the center of attention. Unfortunately, Ron Sano is uh, no longer with us, and he won't be there to be uh, just kind of sharing the spotlight. So it's going to be a lot, a lot of eyes and a lot of people looking at Barry and it'll be uh, it'll be a good you know good weekend for him. Right, right. I think like I said I've been looking forward to that one. This is going to be a uh, a very interesting day for him and like you said he's I'm I'm really curious as you know some of the people that are going to be there for him because he is a guy that uh is just honored by everybody that that he's actually making the Hall of Fame. All right, let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about the Reds this year, of course. Uh not doing too much during the winter meetings, but now uh, the signing of Ryan Matson. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it was weird. That, you know, the Reds and Reds fans were uh, were complaining a lot about the lack of activity from this team. You know, the uh, you know, they went to the GM meetings, nothing happened. Went to the winter meetings, nothing happened. And then you get to the end of December, and this whammo. They they, they trade you know, four players, including three primary prospects, to get Matt Latos from San Diego. They go and trade three more guys to get Sean Marshall from the Cubs, and now they pull off. Uh, a stunner in getting Ryan Matson. You know, they had only been really talking to Francisco Cordero about him resigning, and when they couldn't get agreed on a figure, I think Cordero was looking for more than one year, and the Reds were only willing to offer one year. They turned their attention to the only other closer left in the market who was one of the better ones, and uh, they, they were able to get him. Uh, it's still not official. They haven't, I don't think he's taken his physical yet. So uh, they're still working on it, but that was a, uh, it came together to what sounds like pretty quickly. Yeah, I spoke to Dusty a little bit during the winter meetings, and he, you know he he was pretty happy with everything. Tell me a little bit about you know you look at the Central Division, you see what's happening with St. Louis. Uh, they're going to have a whole new regime there right now, and they're going to go through some changes. Milwaukee, of course, losing well, we don't know if they've lost field or let, but more than likely going to with the Ryan Braun stuff that's going on right now. That's going to be a little bit. Where do you see Cincinnati fitting in as far as this division goes, and 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 do they have a chance to win this division? Yeah, I absolutely think so. I mean, I think if you asked this question over a month ago, I would have said no because you know St. Louis, even though they've lost Larusa and Pujols, they still have Holiday, they still have Freeze, they still have um, um, Berkman, and now they have Carlos Beltran, they have Carpenter and Wainwright and pitching and Garcia, so they have a very strong team. And you have, to, I, I would imagine that when the, the predictions come out, St. Louis is still going to get a lot of people to pick them to win the division. Milwaukee will have Ryan Braun, depending on what happens with his. Uh, his uh, PED investigation uh, still, and they have a pretty good pitching staff with Granke at the top. But the Reds are right there. They've, they've, you know, they've always had a good lineup. They scored the second most runs in the league last year. So offense, 
Um, you know, should be better with having Scott Rowland back in the lineup if he's healthy. And then you look at the, the pitching staff, and they have right now they have six starters competing for five spots. They have a very good bullpen with uh, um, Madsen and, and Marshall and, and Nick Massett in the back end. And it, it you know, if they're not uh, big, you know, big, you know, strongly thought of as, as being, you know, a chance to win the division. Uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of people. I can't imagine a lot of people picking against the Reds. I think there's going to be the Brewers, Reds, or Cardinals, and they'll be right in the middle of it. Yeah, I think that's it. I think, you know, you, you, look, you look at the ball club, like you said, and what they've done, uh, and somehow Dusty always seems to be getting a little bit more out of all of his players, and he's always had success doing that. So I'll, I'll be curious to see how that turns out. Uh, well, listen, I appreciate you giving us some time. Okay, like I said, I'm looking forward to probably seeing you. Uh, are you going to be at the Hall of Fame in July when he is inducted? I, I don't know. I don't know yet. I, I haven't been in past times for uh, other people that have got in, so I don't know. We'll see. But if I'll, uh, you know, I, if I'm there, I'd be I'd be having a good time. I really would like to see an induction. I've never been to one before, so that would be cool if I could get to go. All right. Well, do me a favor. Like I said, pass it on to Barry. Tell him I said congratulations, and he still can't beat me in basketball. But uh, other than that, I appreciate you, Mark, giving us some time today, and I look forward to talking to you during the season. All right, Jim, have a good weekend. All right, Mark, have a good one. That was Mark Sheldon, everyone. That's the MLB. He was the MLB.com site reporter for the Cincinnati Reds. And, of course, uh, Barry Larkin, the big news. And uh, I, I can't say it enough. I mean, I've had an opportunity today to talk to, number one, Don Mattingly, who is my favorite teammate of all, of course. And now I'm actually honored to be able to live in L.A. and be able to watch him manage this year and go down to some games and hopefully get involved with some of the stuff down there. Uh Great talking to him, of course, sharing some of the old memories. Like I told you before, I probably could have done a whole hour show with just Donnie, but uh, I didn't want to take up that much time because I know he's busy. Uh, at the same time, of course, and then being able to talk about Barry Larkin, of course, it, one of the greatest teammates I had as a kid growing up. Uh, didn't play with him too much in the, in the, in the majors, never got a chance to play with him, uh, but just watched him. You know, flourish in the, in the player that he became, and of course, I am going to be there in July when he is elected to the Hall of Fame to, to personally uh, tell him how proud I am and uh, how much of an honor it's got to be for him to do that. And uh, like I said, just 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 a great show today. I really enjoy being able to talk to these guys. Once again, next week uh, we will be coming to you either a taped show or one of my former shows because I'm going to be on my way to New York uh, to go to the baseball assistance team dinner, the bat dinner uh, that is that week. Um, so uh, we'll see what happens next week. I'm hoping maybe there is a possibility that we may tape a show early next week with Barry Larkin. If I can get Barry on the phone for an interview, that would be quite a show. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But overall, um, baseball right now i mean it's exciting we've got four weeks four or five weeks before spring training starts uh you know some of the shows that we've done lately have, are leading up to that i think over the next four or five weeks we're going to have some more information it's been guaranteed by scott boris that we will be talking about prince fielder before the first pitch of spring training is thrown that he will be with a ball club whether it's a one-year deal or if Mr. Boris gets what he wants, his seven- or eight-year deal for Prince Fielder, we'll see if that happens. Uh, January 23rd, like I mentioned earlier, is the target date for bids for the Los Angeles Dodgers. So that scenario will, be, will finally be over with 
once and for all. And I think the sale approval is sometime in May. Uh, so that'll be done. Uh, just a lot of great things happening in baseball. And I tell you what, if you are a baseball fan, whether it's East Coast, West Coast, Central, no matter what, this is an exciting time for everybody. And uh, I am looking forward to the, the coming weeks. And next week, we, like I said, we'll be back with another show from 9 o'clock till 10 Pacific time. And listen, we are going to be signing out from the King's Corner. Another great show today. I will speak to you next week. We're safe for another week. Thanks for tuning in to the King's Corner, talking baseball with your host, Jim Layritz. We can't wait to have you come back next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great weekend. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.